You are listening to the Critical Mass Radio Show, Orange County's business talk show focused on exploring topics of interest to CEOs who are leading middle market companies with your host, Richard Franzi. Welcome to today's episode of Critical Mass Radio Show. I am your host, Rick Franzi. This business talk show airs live on Tuesdays and Wednesdays at 4 p.m. and Thursdays at our special time of 3 p.m. All of our shows can be heard live exclusively on Orange County's only community radio station, octalkradio.net. If you're listening to the show as a podcast, we encourage you to consider listening to the show live during our broadcast times. This show is brought to you by our commercial sponsors, Brandman University, Commercial Bank of California, Decision Toolbox, Smart Business Magazine, Succession Strategies, and Center Club. The goal for this show is to help you, our listening audience, to make better and more informed business decisions. I've invited Eileen McDarf, she's the founder and CEO of Resiliency Group, to be here today because she has programs to help middle market firms strive for resiliency in the workforce through effective leadership programs and her three-step approach. Eileen, welcome to the program. Thank you so much, Rick. Glad to be here. It's nice to have you. Why don't you tell us a little bit about your background? Well, it's interesting because it's how you and I met. You and I met last year when we both were asked to judge the Future Business Leaders of America competition uh, that was nationally held here. Right. And my background is actually in communication. It's in speech communication. That's what that's what I've cut my teeth on and everything that I do within organizations. If you think about it, the hardest part of our business is the softest part of our business. It's the people. So it's all how do we get people going and growing in the ways in which you want them to go so that you can not only survive but thrive in a crazy upside-down 24-7 world. How did you get interested in communications? That's a fascinating topic. It's because I was incredibly shy when I was in high school. Get out of town. Just, seriously. And I'd like my... to meet that girl because <laughs> what a metamorphosis you've had. You know what? And I owe it to a teacher. Wow. I owe it to a teacher who looked at me and said, you are staying after school. And I was a good student. I thought, what the heck have I done wrong? And she said, I want you on the debate team. I said, no, 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 not, not me, not me. I can't right. do it. I loved it. I loved it. I did debate. I did uh, the National Forensic League, placed 10th in the nation in extemporaneous speaking, and it actually brought me out. Sure. So the ability to be able to articulate what you want to say, uh, not for just for competitions, but when I work in organizations, nine times out of ten, it has nothing to do with the computer system or the strategy. It has to do with all the ways in which we interact and we talk with each other and ourselves. So you're looking at internal communications as well as external communications that a firm has? Primarily internal communications. Okay. I did come from the world of external. I used to do the annual reports and marketing and all that other stuff. But it, it really struck me that the message you put on the outside is no good unless it's really lived and breathed on the inside. It's amazing to me how many companies of different industries, different sizes, work on process improvement. And one process they neglect to work on is the communications process. You know, you're so true. When I take when I take management teams away, and I do, I'll take management teams away, and basically what we do is we say, who do we want to be when we grow up and what's keeping us from doing it? And it always has to do with how we see each other, who sits around that table. One of the processes that I use when I do this is that I will interview every one of the players from whoever's the person who owns that meeting to whoever else will be there, asking the same set of questions. 
And then what I do is I create issue papers, uh, statements about what seems, what are people concerned about. Mm. And so we just make sure that if somebody says it's, it's noodles in the cafeteria and only one person cares about noodles, we're not talking about noodles in the cafeteria. Right. We're going to stay focused. But it, it, but it also means that we always start with how do we understand each other's human beings, not just my name, rank, and my resume. Right. All right. Well, let's. Talk about your firm then, Resiliency Group. Mm -hmm. What is it that you do, and what makes Resiliency Group different? In other words, Eileen, why do people do business with you? Oh, there's so many questions in that one, Rick. Um, Let me start with what resiliency is to me. Resiliency is not, as the dictionary defines it, bouncing back from trials, tribulations. That's fine for steel and the sap on that tree that's outside of your window. And a rubber band. And a rubber band. And a rubber band. I define resiliency as growing through. Okay. Challenge or opportunity so that you end up wiser and better on the other side. Hmm. Notice I said growing through. And I didn't say just challenge. I said opportunity. So first and foremost, I think resiliency is how do I, myself as the leader, as the CEO, as the manager to listen, how do I manage myself in such a way that every day I'm looking at how can I grow through what's being presented here and how can I bring the best of the people that I want around me to do this. So that's part of the, the philosophy behind it. The resiliency group, I crafted it in such a way so that when I go in and do an analysis of why someone wants to bring me in there, if we need additional resources, I have a team that I can pull together. But the team is not employed by me. So I bring in my peers who I know will match what are the immediate needs. So think about just-in-time manufacturing. This is called just-in-time Let's, let us help you. Mm-hmm. Sometimes it might just be me or, or a series of us. So That's a very powerful concept, and I think middle market CEOs and businesses can really benefit from working with advisors who have a network of highly trained, experienced professionals that they can call on to be kind of experts on the point problem that you have in the company. It really is a powerful tool. Well, actually, that's a great point that you just raised, is that we also have within our own organizations – Everyone who has a specialized view, and if I could tap into that specialized view Uh and listen to it, I might discover I have my own consultants inside. So it sounds like to build resilience, you need to have experience. Mm, I I think experiences call upon resources for us. Uh And when we, I know later on we're going to talk about this this kind of three-step, what what do we need to look at? Um, it depends upon how we respond to the circumstances that we have in our lives. There is some research that says resiliency individually is about 50% genetic. Hmm. Uh, I can't find so, it. So people are just predisposed to being well, able to Well, but 50% of them. Okay. Which means we've got a whole other 50% of us to work with. Right. And the thing that we have to work with first and foremost is this piece of gray matter that sits between our ears. It matters. It, it does matter. It absolutely matters. And I think sometimes when organizations get stuck, they get stuck because they can't step back. Mm-hmm. They do things the way they've always done them. And then they wonder why they keep getting the same results. That's not rocket scientists. And even though I say that, I'm amazed at how many organizations still hold on to that. And it seems to me, too, the bigger the organization, not that I have a bias against them, although my direct experience is the larger the organization, the more they tend to avoid risk, the more conservative they become in their decision-making. And I think having a resilient culture would allow you to celebrate 
both opportunity and failure if you are actually on a path to improving based on your experience. That's true. And the other part is you break down the silos. See, that's what happens the larger well, you, can't you get. Break down the silos. Well, it is interesting. They're there for it, a reason. It might not come from the top, but it's interesting. You right. know, if enough people lead, the government will follow. Okay. Grassroots. Let's hope. All right, I'm a I'm a big believer in that. I wasn't expecting that, and I had to th- process that for a minute. But now that I have, I, I'm with you. I'm on the same page, Eileen. All right, Good. we're going to take our first commercial break here on Critical Mass Radio Show. And Eileen and I have many things to talk about when we come back. So don't go anywhere, ladies and gentlemen. We'll be back in less than three minutes. Can we talk about your family business? You know, that thing you put your whole life's blood, sweat, and tears into? Well, what happens when you retire or try and pass that business on to your children? At Succession Strategies, we can help you find the answers. We'll guide you through the unsettling process of protecting your family legacy and successfully passing your business on to the next generation, safely and securely, ensuring that it'll both survive and thrive for generations to come. So ask yourself just one question. Can I really afford to wait? Take the first step. Take our complimentary self-assessment at SuccessionStrategies.com or call us at 714-560-9022 to set up a free consultation at your convenience. That's Succession-Strategies.com. Richard Franzi is the author of two popular business books for CEOs. His first book, Critical Mass, The Ten Explosive Powers of CEO Peer Groups, was the first book ever written on the secret value of CEO peer groups. His second book, now with newly updated information, is Critical Mass, The Power of CEO Guiding Principles. Richard's books contain powerful information to help CEOs running middle market companies gain valuable insight to improve their decision-making skills. Richard's books are available as paperbacks or Kindle versions from Amazon.com. To find them, type Richard Franzi in the search box. Richard Franzi is a highly sought-after keynote speaker on topics of interest to CEOs of middle firms across North America. Richard's talks include Killing Cats Leads to Rats, a fascinating look at how unintended consequences of CEOs' decisions impact their firm's performance. Your Gray Matter Matters, which explores how a CEO's mindset can differentiate a middle market firm and define its culture. Richard delivers talks to a variety of audiences, ranging from executive team retreats to keynotes in front of hundreds of CEOs. To learn more about his talks, visit criticalmassforbusiness.com and select the contact page or call 949-887-4104. Welcome back to this edition of Critical Mass Radio Show. I am your host, Rick Franzi. I'd like to thank and acknowledge our listeners who download our show as a podcast. You've downloaded over 10,000 shows during the last 30 days. We heard the program appreciate your continued and growing support. All of our shows can be heard live on Internet Radio Station OCTalkRadio.net, broadcasting from their state-of-the-art studios in the tech-space facility here in Costa Mesa, or rebroadcast anytime from Apple iTunes, Stitcher.com, and other business-oriented podcasting services. 
As I said in the earlier segment, Eileen McDar, she is the founder and CEO of Resiliency Group, is our guest. And before the break, I said we had many things to cover, so let's get into it. Your consulting firm offers services, Eileen, in areas such as how to communicate or how to connect. How can middle market firms take these factors and implement them into achieving their business goals? Was that a question or was that a statement? That's both. <laughs> That's Okay. Well, let's say it's a question. Well, let's say it's a question. So there are different hats that we wear. And just like your listeners heard on your advertisement, we talked about what you do. I do I do the keynote speeches. I will take executive teams away when we talk about what are those retreats and what do we want to get out of it. We also provide some, some hands-on workshops related to communication skill building. Um, I have a wonderful resource that I bring in when we want to do sales training because that's sometimes how do I make really an effective sales presentation. I'm going after a major contract. Um, I bring one of my colleagues in who's superb at that, and we can team up that way. So we we try to mix and match our services. I am also not all things to all people, which is why it's the resiliency group. Mm-hmm. I think that's one of the mistakes that some of us make when we get in business. We think we have to have all the answers, and the truth of the matter, the world is far too complex for us to do that. It's amazing to me in in the area of communications, people communicate to others the way they'd like to be communicated to without really appreciating or caring or even knowing how the other person might prefer to have communications handled. And a simple exercise or exposing them, especially in a management team, to the fact that we're all different and we all have different preferences can truly improve, I think, the operational efficiency and the angst that exists within the company in so many ways if they just... Stop talking to people the way they want to be talked to. It's it's so right. And actually, we've created our own wonderful, terrible demon. And it's this thing <laughs> called email. And so I, I've actually talked to one employee who said she was hired, and that was the last time she ever saw her manager. Oh, my God. And so all she's getting is this flat thing on a screen. Right. Now, y- you tell me how loyal she is to that organization. The person doesn't even know her. She only exists as as a series of letters and numbers on a page, right. on a screen. And I think I think we have allowed technology to use us rather than us using technology. So there's also a skill to be learned in how do I use that effectively. Yeah, personal interpersonal communication can be so valuable because there's always a power imbalance between the CEO and her employees and the VPs and their employees and, you know, coming out and being visible and, and having some level of skill to talk to people is a really important important quality. I think. You know, it's so important. I wrote a small book called Talk Ain't Cheap. It's priceless, connecting in a disconnected world. Wow. It's small because we don't have time to read. Yes. But i got to tell you, to write something small means that every single word has to count. And my hope is, and the way it's been used in organizations, is they've bought it. And the managers take just one lesson. Let's work on this just this week. Let's just work on this one thing. Then how do we work on the next thing? And where, how do we learn to break down barriers? Because talk is priceless. It is. And it, it's occurring at all. It's As we talked earlier, in my experience, it's the process that's universal. Every employee in the company is employing the communications process, so why not try to improve it? It's true. And you say one thing, but I hear something else. Right. And I'm using words, and maybe I like to support my points with facts, and you want to work on emotion and facts tire you and all of a sudden i feel like you don't care about what i'm saying and you're thinking why does this person kill me with all this detail put it in writing and just i trust you tell me what you think rick i mean just simple things like that it's true and it's the responsibility of the ceo in a middle market company 
to make sure there's good communications because there's a power imbalance and it, they have to be the gracious one in the communications, I find. And the other thing they have to be willing to do is to acknowledge what their own blind spots are because all of us have them. We might think yes. we're superb communicators. And when I've done some interviews around, I get to come back and say, you know what? You think you listen? You don't. That is so powerful. I mean, th- having a voice within the company and somebody can sit with the top executive and, and help them understand their shortcomings without any retribution can be so uplifting to the organization if that CEO tries to change their behavior, at least acknowledges their, they heard the message. And, and that's, that's part of it. Is, and so you don't bring me in unless you want to hear the truth. If you don't want to hear the truth, you're not, willing, right. you're not willing to deal with it. I one time had a hospital administrator call me in, and he wanted to do a whole team thing. And his office was behind these big, thick glass doors. And it was a very large hospital up in the valley. And I said, okay, so you want to do team building. I said, so how many times do you ever walk the floor? And he looked at me and he said, I'm the administrator. I never walk the floor. I said, when you decide wow. to walk the floor, I'll come back and do team building for wow. you. Yeah, that's was, something they should do, right? It Not was incredible. Yeah. You know, so I'm going to come in like, going to drop me out of the sky <laughs> and spread a little fairy dust and everything's right. going to be good. You were set up you to know, fail. And, right? and basically, he also said, I work nine to five. Now, if you're in a hospital setting, you know darn well there's no such thing as a nine to five. Yeah, that's tone at the top. It, it was huh? just, it was, it was incredible. Well, the, the, this leads me to the question I wanted to ask you, Eileen, which is, of all the experiences you've had and the lessons that you've learned, have you built a guiding principle, kind of a, an overarching philosophy that you use in your practice when you're working with your clients to help them improve? That's that's another lovely, a lovely question. I really do believe that one of my roles in life is to help organizations and individuals create environments that will support, nurture, and grow the human talent so that we have healthy people, healthy planet, healthy profits. Mm. I do believe in the goodness and greatness of other people, and I think there's a way we can bring that out. And so I like to think that one of the things that I do is transform the life of work and ultimately the work of life. Look at you. That's very good. Thank, Thank you very you. much. Not that I grade them, but I mean, I that hit me in a warm place. So I love that. That that is who I am. I'm not. I'm. What you see is what you get. Right. And you were very. Um, Eileen mentioned that we met each other at a Future Business Leaders of America event, and we happened. We just happened to sit at the same table, and we just. Your energy and your positivity just attracted me, and we started a conversation. And here you are now. Almost a year later, we finally got you on the radio show. I've been chasing this lady for almost a year to get her <laughs> yeah, on the radio Yeah, I had to tell program. my husband, be careful. He's a good guy. <laughs> yeah. It's a radio yeah, show. Yeah, that's all. No, nothing else. Just purely <laughs> professional. So let's kind of go back to the idea of building the skills of, of resiliency. Because I know you also promote and inspire women's leadership and contribution mm-hmm. in the workforce. Mm-hmm. Can you tell me a little bit more about your focus on inspiring women, women's leadership? I think it's important. I'm glad you're oh, doing it's, that. Oh, it's if you look at the statistics, the more women that are in senior management positions, you get a better rate of return for your investors. Uh, your employee retention is better. There's just huge numbers. So there's there's operating on two fronts. One is how do we as women equip each other to grow our strengths and our skills? based upon what is what I think of as leveraging your career to match your authentic self. 
Hmm. So how do you leverage your career? How do you, if, depending on where you want to be, Sheryl Sandberg, when she wrote the book Lean In, caused all kinds of fur because everyone said, oh, she's trying to create alpha males out of women. And I, in fact, I responded to an editorial and I wrote back and I said, either you've not read the book or you have no daughters. Hmm. Because how do we create an environment in which we realize that the talent that sits there is not gender-driven? So we have to work over that to get to get through that. So what I like to do is to help women decide where is it that they think they belong? What is it that they want to do? But then how do we create an environment within our workplace that allows both men and women to bring their full selves into the job? Which is why I'm seeing more and more in this this um, group that I work with with the University of Pennsylvania. It's called the Work and Family Research Network. There are more and more men who are saying, you know what, I don't want to move up in leadership because you've created an environment that doesn't let me acknowledge that I have a life and I want to know my kids before right. I'm old. Right, and I think that's a quality, a quality of the younger generations is they, I think they've observed their parents and the sacrifices we made and they're not willing and i say rightly so in many cases to make the same kind of sacrifices i think they understand what's important and i think work-life balance not just for female employees but for male employees is critical um paul was telling our engineer was telling me a story that his daughter and son and her and the baby's father uh he gets two weeks off to be able to be with the new baby i thought how great is that how progressive and smart is that to allow the dad Two weeks to be with the child. And you realize how rare that is in the United States. Our, our statistics are pretty dismal when it comes to the integration of work, the, the work-life fit. We're, we do not do well with that at all. Right. And I think uh, I had the, the good fortune to travel internationally for a while in my career and seeing how other countries in, on different continents treat work and family. I think more U.S. Americans should get outside of America to understand there's a healthy way that you can balance those two, and it's not working an 80-hour week on a regular basis. It, to me, it's results that matter. Yes. What are the results that we get? So FaceTime and putting in 10 hours doesn't necessarily mean I've gotten any results. Right. Right. That's why I like sales. Scoreboard. I was <laughs> much, much of my career was in sales. Don't judge me on my activity. Judge me on my results. There you go. If someone would like to learn more about the resiliency group, Eileen, how do they do that? Well, let me first and foremost give you a phone number because we are here in Orange County. Okay. It's 949-496-8640. That's 949-496-8640. Our website is www. And it is my name, E-I-L-E-E-N, the Irish spelling, Eileen McDar, M-C-D-A-R-G-H. That's the Scott part. So E-I-L-E-E-N-M-C-D-A-R-G-H. They can also Google the Resiliency Group, and they will get to that same site. Well, this has been fun. We scratched the surface on what you do for people and a little bit about what you know. And I want to thank you for finally agreeing to come in and being a guest on Critical Mass Radio Show, a friend of the program and a part of our community. I well, mean. thank you, and I'll come back another time. There you go. You heard it here on Critical Mass Radio Show. We'll be back after these commercial words with our second guest, Mark Murphy, who is an author and a speaker, and we're going to be talking about Leadership IQ after these words from our commercial sponsors. When it comes to pioneers in their respective industries, we all know the Apples, Starbucks, and Trader Joe's of the world. In the realm of recruiting, Decision Toolbox is the industry's best-kept secret. 
with 90% of their business from referrals and repeat customers. For over 20 years, Decision Toolbox's U.S.-based team of recruiters, sourcers, professional writers, quality personnel, and tech support has perfected a Six Sigma approach to talent management. No matter the size of the project, Decision Toolbox delivers incredible results. A cost per hire less than half of what contingency firms charge with the winning candidate presented in an average of 14 days, all with a 12-month candidate warranty. With results like that, Decision Toolbox won't be a secret for long. Visit us at www.dtoolbox.com for more information. If you are an Orange County CEO or a business owner, this message is for you. Do you ever feel isolated with no place to turn for advice or feedback? Who holds you accountable to your commitments in your company? Where do you find the right resources to help you and your company grow? If you have had these questions, then Critical Mass for Business might be the answer for you. Critical Mass for Business is committed to helping you make better decisions through the power of peer learning. These are groups of peers who are running businesses just like you. CEO Peer Groups provides a great sounding board to test fresh ideas and new concepts, review your strategic plans and tactical goals, and present issues and opportunities for a critical discussion. The result is improved strategy, accountability, and improved business results. If you are interested in learning more, go to www.criticalmassforbusiness.com and learn about our CEO peer groups. CEO peer groups is a registered trademark of Critical Mass for Business. When you use the Premier Rewards Gold Card from American Express, the rewards points can keep on multiplying. Buy three with triple points on airfare. Buy two with double points on gas and groceries. And a single point for pretty much every other dollar you spend on the card. Then, start choosing from over a million rewards to redeem all those points. Apply today and the annual fee for the first year is on us. Call 1-800-AXP-GOLD or visit AXPGOLD.COM. The annual fee for the card is $175. See terms, conditions, and restrictions at AXPGOLD.COM. It takes 12 years to create a graduate. It takes about the same time to create a dropout. And at the end of the day, the difference between a child becoming one or the other could be you. So United Way is asking you to make a pledge. Tutor a child who needs help. Mentor a kid who needs someone on their side. Volunteer to read to children. Because when a child advances, we all advance. Be a reader. Tutor or mentor. Give. Advocate. Volunteer. Live United. Take the pledge now at liveunited.org. Brought to you by United Way and the Ad Council. Imagine what it would feel like to lose everything. Your job, your home, your family, your dignity. This has happened to thousands of the men, women, veterans, and young adults we serve at Working Wardrobes. What do we do to help? We provide career development services, life skills workshops, job skills training. We provide the perfect interview outfit, and we get clients placed in jobs. Call Working Wardrobes, 714-210-2460. Donate, volunteer, invest, hire. Welcome back to this edition of Critical Mass Radio Show. I am your host, Rick Franzi. Our audience demographic is 98% business owners and executives who listen to learn from the experiences of our guests. If your firm is interested in reaching these top decision makers, then advertising on the radio show may be the answer. Each month, our sponsors gain valuable exposure through their support of the program. 
Last month, we delivered over 30,000 highly targeted sponsor impressions. To learn more, contact our advertising department at 949-887-4104. All of our shows can be found from our website, criticalmass4forbusiness.com. All right, let's turn our attention to our second guest. Our second guest is Mark Murphy. Are you interested in becoming a more effective leader? Mark, I've asked Mark to join the program to share how his step-by-step leadership process can help business leaders and entrepreneurs become more successful. Mark, welcome to the program. Well, thanks so much for having me, Rick. It's great to be here. Let's begin by discussing your background. Tell our audience a little bit about your experiences and sort of what led up to this point in your career, Mark. So I, I actually took the kind of opposite approach to studying leadership that most people take, and that is I actually began in the world of turnarounds. So I would be called in to help organizations, you know, the ones that say, we're going to lose $100 million this year and we're about to close the door, save us. And I, doing that for about a decade, uh, what started to become crystal clear was that the missing piece in all of this, you can go into an organization and scrub the balance sheet and take a look at the books and shutter divisions and do all of that. But at the end of the day, if there isn't the leadership in place, if people aren't bought into the vision, if they're not motivated, if they're not engaged, you know, everybody's going to hit a rough patch from time to time. But if the leadership piece isn't there, this whole thing isn't going to work. So throughout the course of my doing the turnaround work, I started to study leaders and really just try and figure out why do some leaders get themselves into this mess and other leaders steer clear. And after a while of doing that, a decade of that, I sold that firm and said, you know what, it's okay. Dealing with the tough stuff was, yeah, it was good, but it'd be a lot more fun to actually prevent people from getting into this trouble in the first place. And, you know, that, that we can probably make even a bigger difference if I spend my time and energy there. So that's that's kind of how I came into the uh, into starting Leadership IQ. And tell me about the name Leadership IQ. How did you come up with that? The idea behind this really was improving the science of leadership, making people smarter. And this has really kind of been my personal guiding principle throughout the whole thing is whatever we do, we've got to make sure that no matter what, we're making people smarter. And, you know, the, as you spend enough time looking at leadership, and, and you know this, there's there's folks out there that, you know, they, they want every new fad, and, you know, it says some new idea comes up, and then it fades away because it doesn't really work, and then another idea comes up, and that fades away because it doesn't really work. And out of all of this, uh, my big goal was to say, listen, let's try and make people smarter and let's not so much glom on to the feel good slick selling kind of approach but rather let's make people smarter and it's not always going to be the easier approach but you know listen creating google isn't easy (laughs) if it were easy everybody would be google uh but if we can make people smarter about how they lead people how they motivate how they engage them then that will kind of been our our big contribution to it. So that's when we looked at the name, we said, all right, well, what is this really? It's about, you know, leadership brain power. It's about making people smarter, IQ, and thus we came up with, with leadership IQ. I understand that you offer leadership services such as webinars and online training and then leadership training programs. Can, can you give us a sense for the delivery model of how you're helping improve leadership IQ in the companies that you work with? 
Sure. So <clears throat> our approach, first and foremost, is to be content-driven. So what we do is we go out and we study organizations. So we do a lot of engagement surveys. We do a lot of leadership assessments and really try to figure out, okay, what is it that actually makes people tick? What works as a leadership technique? What doesn't work? So, for example, um, we have done a lot of work on a lot of research on hiring people. And so we went out and we studied 20,000 new hires and 5,000 hiring managers, tried to figure out, okay, well, first and foremost, you know, how many of these new hires actually work out? Well, it's about 46% of them are going to fail. So, okay, that's pretty bad. But then we started to dig behind and say, well, okay, what makes people miss this in the interview? You know, why do these new hires actually fail? And so we started to pull this apart and realized that the number one characteristic wasn't that people were failing for lacking technical skills. Like most of the time, you don't hire a programmer who can't program. Most of the time, 89% of the time, in fact, it's the programmer may have the technical skills, but they're not coachable. They don't have any emotional intelligence. They're not motivated. They have the wrong temperament to fit your culture and so on. And so once we discovered that it was really about hiring people for attitude. It's not that you don't want people that are skilled. Of course you do. It's just that those tend to be easier to find. It's finding people that have skills and attitude is the harder part. So once we made that discovery, we then said, all right, we've got to go now and share what we've learned and share with people how to hire for attitude. So what we did is we said, we have this content. Now we have to disseminate it. And so knowing that you know, people want content in all different ways. We created, we wrote a book about it, Hiring for Attitude. Then we turned that into a, uh, a webinar. And then we said, okay, well, a one-hour webinar, that's, that's not enough for some people. So then we created a seven-hour online certificate course where people can go become certified in Hiring for Attitude. And then we had even these larger clients that said, well, okay, you know, that's all great, um, but we want you to actually come here and basically spoon-feed it to us a little more. <laughs> we want you to make you guys do the work. You come out here. You tell us what attitudes we need to hire for and, and teach us how to hire just for those attitudes. We don't need all the theory. We just need teach us how to hire for these five attitudes. And so we developed a consulting practice around teaching people how in each of their individual companies to hire for attitude. So we basically said, listen, we've, we've got the idea, we've got the content, the techniques, but now we have to disseminate it in a way that, listen, if you want to pay you know, $50,000 to have us come in and do it for you, soup to nuts, fine. But if you want to attend a webinar for $249 and do it that way, you know, there are small companies, there are big companies, there are people who want to do it themselves, people who want it done for them. And we basically said, we're going to try and match, give you as many different modalities, as many different ways to use this leadership content as we can possibly think of. So, you know, for us, it goes from, you know, the book, uh, which, you know, Barnes & Noble, I forget the latest price, probably $22 or something, right. uh, you know, all the way up to the big things, and that was our basic idea, was just make this as broadly available as we could. We're going to take our final commercial break here on Critical Mass Radio Show. My guest in this segment is Mark Murphy, 
His firm is Leadership IQ, and we're talking about how to make leaders smarter as it relates to their organizations. When we come back, I'm going to ask you, Mark, if you can give me an example of your step-by-step guide to helping clients become better leaders. And if you could briefly prepare an example that you can share with our audience, I would appreciate it. Is that okay? That's great. All right, ladies and gentlemen, don't go anywhere. We'll be back in less than three minutes with Mark Murphy of Leadership IQ after these words from our commercial sponsors. There's something uniquely positive about the word up. When things are good, things are looking up. When you want to go fast, you speed up. And when you're really cheering, you stand up. So when you want to move up, what do you do? Well, when it comes to getting your bachelor's degree or master's degree, there's one university that stacks up better than virtually everyone else. And that university is Brandman. Brandman University is ranked by U.S. News and World Report as one of the nation's top ten universities for online bachelor's programs. And it ranked best in the state of California. Brandman also received top honors from U.S. News and World Report for our online graduate programs in business and education. Plus, our programs are available on ground at more than 25 convenient campuses. So to wrap things up, we recommend you look us up at brandman.edu. That's brandman.edu. And find out how to move up like never before. Brandman University. Move up. Smart Business Network is a business-to-business multimedia company providing insight, advice, and strategy for C-level executives of fast growth, middle market, and large companies. As one of the nation's largest publishers of local management journals, under the Smart Business name, Smart Business Network publishes 19 regional print editions, presents dozens of large and small-scale business conferences and award programs, and produces a vibrant interactive digital media presence. For more information, visit us at www.sbnonline.com. At ExitCoachRadio.com, we're interviewing over 100 top advisors to get you one-minute tips, ideas, and precautions so you can be well-planned. We upload new content daily at 6 a.m. and 1 p.m. ExitCoachRadio.com. Come listen for a minute. Welcome back to this edition of Critical Mass Radio Show. I am your host, Rick Franzi. I'd like to thank and acknowledge our listeners who download our show as a podcast. You've downloaded over 10,000 shows during the last 30 days. We here at the program appreciate your continued and growing support. All of our shows can be heard live on Internet radio station octalkradio.net or rebroadcast anytime from iTunes, Stitcher.com, and other business-oriented podcasting services. Our guest today is Mark Murphy. He is His firm is Leadership IQ. And before the break, Mark, I was asking you if you could think about a brief example of how your step-by-step program guides your clients to become better leaders in their companies. Can you give us a recent example? Sure, and I'll give you a very, a very simple one. And it's sort of one of the keys of leadership is not necessarily having all the answers but being able to ask good questions. So we were called in by a firm, about a thousand employees, and they were they called us in because they were having turnover problems. So people are quitting, blah blah blah. And we asked them a very simple question, which is, okay, well, why? I mean, I, I understand your turnover rate, you know, twenty three percent. Okay, that's high for your industry, but why? Well, you know, we we did exit interviews, and everybody basically gave us the same answer: it was leaving for more money. We said, okay, well, do you think that's true? <laughs> Well, no, we, we know the companies they're going to, and they're not really going for more money. 
Okay. Well, then we think we might have a bit of an issue here. Um, let me ask this. Do your managers ever sit down with employees? I, I know you're, you're doing this exit interview stuff. Have you ever sat down and done stay interviews? What's that? It's where you basically ask people, okay, well, you know, let's just sit down over a cup of coffee and uh, tell me, uh, you know, in the past month or so, um, can you tell me about a time that really got you excited and fired up? Oh, that seems easy. But then you got to ask the other question, which is, can you tell me about a time in the past 30 days or so when you felt kind of burned out and demotivated? Well, what if they say that the thing that demotivates them is us? Hmm. Well, <laughs> that's kind of what you got to know. And so the first thing we did was we called these shoves and tugs. Shoves are the things that shove you out the door. Tugs are the things that tug at you to stay. So okay. once we had these conversations, we said, listen, the, the first thing you've got to do is we've got to train every manager very simply on how to have a shove and tug conversation with their employees. Okay, simple. Not going to be a big deal. Takes a couple of hours. Great. They learn how to sit down, talk to their employees about what's motivating them, what's demotivating them. That's step one. Step two, then, is we have to have some data. It's sort of like a surgeon going in. Somebody says, I got pain in my stomach, Doc. I, I need an operation. Right? <laughs> we really can't operate until we figure out exactly what's causing the pain. I'm not just going to cut you open for the sake of cutting you open. So we had to go in and say every manager has to go learn how to do shoves and tugs. But now we've actually got to require that every manager go out and have shoves and tugs conversations with every one of their employees. It is literally a 10 to 15 minute conversation you have with each employee every single month and you know minimally every quarter, but best practice is every single month. And once we started to get that a couple months in, you start to see several common themes. So for example, the organization, what came out of these shoves and tugs, so they heard a lot of people saying, well, you know what demotivates me is you keep implementing all these new strategic changes and you purchase all this technology and you tell us it's for the good of the company, but you never tell us really why we're doing it. We, Yeah, it's good of the company, but that's just, you know, corporate gobbledygook. It's, you're not telling us why you're doing it and while you're spending this money on the technology, you're actually not spending it on raises. Hmm. And we could live with that, but you, we don't, you're not telling us what it is you're doing, where it is you're trying to go. And... One of the amazing things about this was that, you know, within about six months, they had taken the turnover rate down from the low 20s down into the mid-teens. So it dropped about eight percentage points just in about six months. And in the year since then, it's dropped another uh, six or seven points. And the issue, and just from this, now there are other things that, you know, they can continue to do, of course, but this is just one amazingly simple thing, and the reason I wanted to share this example is that it, it's amazing how simple leadership can be. Sometimes we overcomplicate this, and one of the things that comes out of this over and over again is that employees are grown-up adults. They have insight. They're the ones who usually spend more time talking to the customers than the bosses do. They usually have a better feel for the front lines of the organization for what the marketplace wants. Right. than the higher-ups do. And all they really want, I mean, there's a lot of things they could want, but one of the most foundational things they want is to actually be listened to. And so much training on leadership has been about how to talk at employees. And, uh, you know, I'll tell you honestly that it's less about 
talking at the employee than it is about listening mm. to the employees. Absolutely. And if you truly believe, you know, my rule for leaders is if you truly believe your employees don't have any really good insight to give you, then you've got the wrong employees. <laughs> it's because they have amazing insight to give you. Is it painful to listen to it sometimes? Ugh, absolutely. When the employee says, yeah, you want to know what demotivates me? You demotivate right. me. Right. It's, it's terrifying, but it's also the cheapest, simplest, easiest thing in the world to fix. Interesting. I, uh, I, I say to CEOs out here on the West Coast that if you look around in a company meeting and you're the smartest person in the room, you've done something wrong as the boss because you shouldn't feel that way when you surround yourself with the talent in your company. So I hear what you're saying. That, you know, absolutely. You, your company does a lot of research, and I know that you conducted one of the largest leadership and goal-setting studies, and I saw that one of the um, findings was, and I'd like you to share it with our audience, why CEOs get fired. You know, the audience are CEOs and top executives of middle market firms, so I think they would be keenly interested, in Mark Murphy, in some of your findings specifically around why CEOs get fired. Yeah, you know, the interesting thing was we had been told for years, and, you know, me coming out of the turnaround world, it's everything you're always taught as well as the financial results. And what we discovered, what we did is we took about a 1,000 CEOs that had been fired, um, you know, and, and oftentimes it was like the secret emergency board meeting, and then over the weekend and then Monday morning the CEO announces his retirement, and which is basically code for he got fired. So we went and interviewed all these board members, and just like a, a journalist would, and we said, all right, listen, we just, just give us the skinny. We're not going to use your name, but why did you really fire the person? And the number one reason was mismanaging change. It wasn't the money. It was the change. And what was interesting was it wasn't whether the change was a good idea. It was about whether or not people were bought in and understood why and where this thing was going. It was sort of a confidence in the change. So, you know, classic example would be when Carly Fiorina was fired from Hewlett Packard and, you know, were mutually left and whatever. Uh, and when we were talking to folks, it wasn't that so much the idea of whether or not buying Compaq, you know, back this is back a ways now, but HP bought Compaq and they were going to become the biggest PC maker in the world and they bought Compaq and the griping and the loss of confidence wasn't so much about whether or not buying Compaq was a good idea, but rather about will people support this? Like, yes, it's we bought this company and, okay, Business line-wise, can we sell PCs? Can we combine manufacturing? All of that. But, you know, strategically, that's not so much the concern. The concern is, can you get the people in this organization to actually believe in this, to stop fighting you? Can you convince them that this is a good idea? And we saw this over and over again that these board members would tell us, listen, it, it wasn't so much that the dollars and cents side of it didn't make sense. We believed it, but... If you alienate everybody on the path to this, then people aren't going to follow you. And what happens, and this is the real killer, it's sort of one of the big killers for CEOs, is that people start to drag their feet. 
uh, I learned 20 years ago about the 24-hour rule. I was terrified when I first heard it. And basically what it means is uh, I don't really trust that the boss is this is a good decision, that this is a smart way to go. And so, you know, I'm not really going to do anything for the next 24 hours. I'm just going to kind of, you know, hang back and, and see how it all shakes out. Well, you know, the typical CEO type is a pretty A personality. Like when I say jump, you say how high. You know, when I give you an order, I want it done 20 minutes ago, not 20 minutes from now. And when people start dragging their feet, when they say, I, you know, this is probably a stupid idea. This might blow over. I, I don't know. We're really going to go into this change? Not. Nah, who knows? And they start dragging their feet. Then what ends up happening is not only have you lost the buy-in, the emotional side of it, but now, actually, you start to lose the operational effectiveness because when everybody starts slowing down because they don't like you, they don't trust you, they don't know why you're making decisions, they think you're acting capriciously, then they drag their feet and then the operations break down. So you have neither the operational nor the emotional support for it. Interesting. So, uh, Mark, if someone would like to learn about Mark Murphy and your firm, Leadership IQ, online, how do they find you? Uh, they can visit us on the web at leadershipiq.com. Uh, they can also find us on Facebook and Twitter. And if somebody's really dying to have a conversation, of course, you can just always email me directly. It's just mark at leadershipiq.com, M-A-R-K. Well, I'm glad that we were able to make this uh, radio show happen. I know we had tried to have you on the show earlier, and you were caught in the bad weather that's been, unfortunately, all too prevalent there on the East Coast, even the Southeast in, in your case. And so I'm glad that the weather's broken, and we were able to get you on the Critical Mass radio show. Thanks for being a friend of the program, and welcome to the Critical Mass business community, Mark Murphy. Good. Thanks so much for having me. This was a blast. Have a good day. You too. All right. Thank Bye. you. I hope you've enjoyed our show today, and the interviews have provided you with new ideas and information that you can use to make better decisions, especially around communications. That's been the theme today, and hopefully you've gotten some nuggets that you can employ in your business. Uh, the show has been brought to you by our commercial sponsors, Brandman University, Commercial Bank of California, Decision Toolbox, Smart Business Magazine, Succession Strategies, and Center Club. I'd like to thank our engineer of today's show, Paul Roberts. Our producer was and is Crystal Nunley. Our guest coordinator is Kathleen Shepard. Our social media manager is Asia Celestino. And I'm your host, Rick Franzi. If you'd like to learn more about Critical Mass for Business, or you'd like to refer a future guest or possibly advertise on our radio show, visit our website, criticalmassforbusiness.com. Until the next show, I hope all your decisions move your company in a positive direction listening to critical mass radio show business talk show focused on exploring topics of interest to ceos who are leading middle market companies with your host richard franzi 